Welcome to the Sikh Messenger podcast series brought to you by the network of Sikh organisations. Over the next few weeks, we will be interviewing people who are engaged in addressing the issue of hate crime, be it from a policing or public policy perspective, or hearing from victims themselves. Our focus is on the implications for British Sikhs, but we will also be looking at the wider problem in general. This initiative is brought to you as part of the Catch Together Against Hate project, which is being facilitated by Gallup and has been funded by the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime. Your hosts for the series are Tavleen, Hrabaksh and Hardeep. Today we are delighted to be joined by Chief Superintendent Raj Kohli. He joined the police force in 1992 and has risen through the ranks to become the most senior turbaned police officer in the force. Amongst many other things, he played a key role in helping police the London Olympics in 2012 and was the officer who announced the death of Amy Winehouse via a live press interview that was seen all over the world. So it's really lovely to have you here today talking to us. Thank you very, very much. Um, you're the most senior Sikh police officer in the country, and you have two brothers who are both comedians. So what can you tell us about early life in the Corley household? Um, and why did you decide to join the police instead of following after um, what your brothers chose to do? Okay, so um, I'm the most senior um, uh, turbaned Sikh police officer. Okay. Then there might there might be I'm trying there might be somebody more senior who's who, who doesn't wear pagri, um, uh, or or indeed a Sikh female. I'm not not sure, but anyway, I I am one of the most senior, uh, certainly the most senior with with the pagri. So life in the life in the Kuli household. Um, so we're talking about 1970s Glasgow, so very dull and grey. Uh, two fantastic parents from whom. Uh, we, we, I, I get my values from. Uh, I also get my values from 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 our religion, our culture. Um, why I didn't follow my brother's footsteps? Well, uh, as the eldest, they should have followed me. But, um, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. We've all got degrees in subjects that we don't now practice uh, as adults. So my degree is in electronic engineering, and I also studied biomedical engineering. Sanjeev, my youngest brother, has got a first-class honours in maths. Although he could have done any degree he wanted, he was just and is one of the brightest people you'll ever meet. And Hardeep did law, so none of us are practicing what we've um, what we went to university for. Uh, so life in the Kohli household. I mean, Tavleen Hardeep, believe it or not, there was a time when there was only three TV channels. There was no mobile phones, so that's the kind of the world that we um, we, we grew up in. Um, we took the Gurdwara every Sunday. Uh, and straight from the Gurdwara, we would, all of us, everyone from the Gurdwara would go to Regent Street Cinema and watch two Bollywood movies back to back and then come home at half past eight of an evening. Um, and that was every Sunday, Gurdwara in the afternoon uh, and then uh, two Bollywood movies uh, late afternoon, early evening and go home. And why that's important is because that kind of shaped my um, uh, connection with with the Punjabi Sikh Indian community it could be could quite easily have been lost if, if, if that didn't happen so that's what that kind of solidified my connection with with, with, with my community that's really interesting thank you 
Yeah, and it, and it sort of echoes of actually our director, Lord Singer Wimbledon. He, you know, he's a engineer by um, uh, kind of a profession, but he kind of moved into journalism, as you know. Um, so that, that's, um, you know, it's fascinating to kind of find out what people sort of studied and what they go on to do. Um, I mean, I, I, um, I, I was quite interested, sort of staying with your family uh, for the moment, um, Raj. Um, there was the BBC documentary not so long ago, My Turban and Me, and your brother Sanjeev goes on this sort of personal journey to discover more about what the significance of the turban is in, in Britain today to British yeah. Sikhs. And, and amongst all the people that he interviews, um, he, he speaks to your mum, I think they're sitting on the family sofa. Um, yeah. And she talks about her experience of young Sikh schoolboys being bullied. Um, and she says that was one of the reasons um, she decided to cut Sanjeev's hair, hair, hair. And she said, this is not for my kids. What are your kind of memories of this time? Um, you say you're the eldest of, of the uh, brothers. So I, I, I imagine you kind of saw much more of this from your mum's perspective than your younger siblings. And would you say that it's worse for Sikh kids now growing up as compared to when you were growing up in Glasgow? Okay, so um, me and Hardeep never had long hair till we became, until we got to the age of 11 or 12. For, for whatever reason, mum decided that Sanjeev would have long hair. And I remember Sanjeev up until the age of about two or three years old, having gutta, the usual, you know, long hair tied in the back, all that kind of business. And um, I think my mum decided, well, if Hardeep and, Sanjeev, uh, and Raj aren't wearing, um, uh, have short hair, why should Sanjeev? Um, and I do often see this in, in Sikh families, that the dad will be clean shaven and short hair and the son will, will, will have, have a butt gone. And I do wonder, you know, is there, you know, how does that feel for you, that child, that your, your father doesn't wear a pug, but he's kind of making you wear a pug? So, um, so when mum decided to cut some Jeeves hair, uh, my Dadima got into a right old strop and stormed out of <laughs> the house. Um, it didn't come back for about six hours. She was really annoyed. <laughs> I mean, really, pro I mean, Forget Indian soap operas, this was this is real <laughs> life stuff, really in a strop. Um, and um, so then, you know, then th that was that for a few years. Then uh, we went to, um, uh, we used to go to India every two or three years. I always used to go to uh, Amritsar and the, the, the Barsab. And we also had some friends who, uh, a friend, I say friends that were old, so like kind of mentors to us. Uh, these are young, good looking Sikh guys, you know, trendy and fun. And interesting, telling a story about Sikhi, telling us stories about Banda Singh Bahadur, Guru Gobind Singh Ranak. In those days, you also had the comics that told stories about uh, Sikh history and all that kind of stuff. And so me and Hardeep, when we both reached secondary school age, decided we'd go from short hair in primary school to wearing bugs in secondary school. Uh, now, my bugs spent more time on the floor of Hutchinson Grammar School than they did on my head. They <laughs> needed to get knocked off all the time. I mean, I, I, I weaponized my bug. There was so much starch in it because you know, if it comes off, it, it unravels and, you know, it's not going to happen. So I, you know, and in fact, I had a bug that was so starched that I kept it for a year. It was like this thing was never coming apart. So, so, so in comparison to, I, I, I can't speak for young Sikh, but it is with what about Sikh boys here? Uh, because in the main sick boys are the ones who would wear a, a bug I can't speak for them. 
I sense it was more difficult for me and Hardik because we're unique, we're unusual. It's not it's not the done thing. Britain is now much more diverse, and it is more more understanding, slightly more welcoming of different cultures, whether it's a hijab, whether it's the um, the cap that uh, the Jewish uh, people of Jewish faith wear, or or the bug. Back then, it was it was we were we were unusual. We were unique. Well, it sounds it sounds fascinating just hearing that, and I, I know Kavleen's probably got her own thoughts on this, but it sounds like your Dadima was a real traditionalist and um, wanting to sort of maintain Sikh values. Um, and it's amazing to hear about that story because I, I kind of had similar grandparents who are very much traditionalists. Um, and the the other thing I, which strikes me is fascinating: your your starched uh, bug that you say was was weaponized in your early years. It sounds to me like it perhaps was the precursor to the uh, bulletproof turban that uh, w was being talked about quite a lot. Uh, I think in recent years, the ballistic proof turban or something. That, so that so was interesting. So that that was yeah. So that that was that was about ten years ago. And, okay. Um, uh, and um, so the newspaper ran an article, you know, uh, entitled "Bulletproof Turban," which is, let's be honest, it's quite it's quite a fun headline to, to play with <laughs> on the phone news day. Of course, they're they're. Um, their photo library only had one uh, Sikh police officer that wore a bug. That was me. So okay. next, to the, next to the bulletproof turban headline was a picture of me. And so I was, for weeks, <laughs> I, spent, I, I was spending time denying it had anything to do with me. Because people assumed I, it was my idea. It wasn't my idea. Um, <laughs> in fact, it was somebody from the West Midlands um, that, that was kind of try, try, trying to go for it in, in that respect. So... Um, so yeah, for a long time I was denying I was I was the guy, but uh, <laughs> you know, thankfully there are more people, there are more uh, officers with bugs now. So you know, hopefully they'll use someone who's um, better looking next time. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> that was me. Well, um, I'm sure you're a good. Uh, you are, and you will continue to be a good poster boy for for Sikhs and um, the, the, the the police service. Um, Davlino, do do you have any sort of thoughts about um, those early years, or do you want to? No, ask? I I think it's very interesting and I also think that the transition from having short hair to then wearing a turban is not one that you hear about very often um, and yeah that's just really interesting to hear about. Um, I'm just wondering what it was like when you started out in the police force as a turban Sikh amongst I don't know presumably a not very diverse cohort. What was that like? Um... So the police service, uh, I'll go back to the thing about um, the transition from short hair to long hair. Yeah. It's, it's always been my view that um, if you as a young person make the decision yourself, you're much, much, much more likely to stay with it. So all of my nephews, all of whom uh, had long hair uh, when they were, you know, children, have all cut their hair and shaved, all of them. The only, but me and Hardeep are the two that made the decision and kept it. So there is something about allowing the child to make make the decision and will keep it. I think it's, for me, it'd be much more hurtful if my son, I allow my, my sons to choose, they're both uh, clean shaven, uh, but it'd be very hurtful if they had long hair and at the age of 12 decided to cut their hair, that would break my heart. So um, so there is something about, I mean, you know, all of my nephews and nieces and some cousins have all now cut their hair. I've gone the opposite direction and that because it's my decision, it's, it's much more likely to stick. In terms of um, when I first joined the police, the police officers were very, very supportive. Um, 
of course I got double and triple looks from people when I went on patrol. And then when I opened my mouth, I sound like Punjabi Asia, uh, Billy Connolly. Because although I sound like <laughs> from the West Midlands now, back in the early 90s, I sounded very Glaswegian. So we had this, I guess, this kind of um, real sensory overload. Here's a man with a bug who should speak English with a Punjabi accent and speaking in Glaswegian. We don't know what to say, look, I don't know where to look. Um, very, very supportive. I did detect some, you know, low level uh, kind of comments from colleagues, but that was based on um, ignorance more than anything else. Um, so, you know, some of whom said, oh, Raj, you'll get promoted because you're Asian and we need to promote more Asian people. You know, that was ignorance more than, than anything else. Um, but overall, very, uh, the police service was very, was, did, did support me, did support me. That's really good. And I'm just wondering to jump back, because you mentioned that your degree was electronic engineering and biomedical engineering, which is, I don't know, very, very interesting. And you must have been very smart. Um, how did you then, like, why did you then decide to join the police force? So I, so, so, so the two things, um, uh, the whole idea of Seva, uh, I, I cannot stand injustice, I can't, even as a kid, I could not stand injustice, it just, I just think it's, I'm built that way through our religion, through my mum and dad's values, through Dandima as well, because she lived with us till she passed away um, uh, 15, 18 years ago. So I'm built that way anyway. So I was always going to either join the army or be a police officer. And I knew that from the age of four or five. Um, but also, long before you guys were born, uh, one of Doctor Who's first um, assistants was a police officer. So I used to sit there watching Doctor Who. And it was in black and white. It was that long ago, Devlin. That long ago, TV was in black and white. And I remember sitting there, and I was wearing this uniform, police uniform that my mum had bought me. I'm sitting in a police officer's uniform watching uh, this police officer going to a police box and then watching Z cars afterwards, which was like the 1970s version of the bill. And then I think I was psychologically damaged as a child. I was always going to be a police officer. Everything I watched was about the police. Every program I watched, I was just... So I was always going to do it. But I'm, I'm, I'm that old-fashioned guy who says, go to university, get university out of the way, gives you options. It does mature you, I think. Um, it certainly gives you options. It disciplines you. And so my time at university wasn't wasted. Getting a degree wasn't wasted. It was, it was good for me to do that um, and to kind of get out into the big bad world, you know, through a halfway house, which is, is university. But I was, never, I was never built to be an engineer. I can barely wire a plug or put a light bulb in, let alone do some of the stuff that my former, you know, um, uh, my, my friends from 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 university now do. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm gonna jump to the modern day. So we're part of the Together Against Hate project, which mm. is focusing on raising awareness of hate crimes in different communities. And from our perspective, we want to make sure that members of the Sikh community know how to report a hate crime and who to speak to if they've been a victim. So we've created leaflets to assist both individuals and organizations um, yeah. to help victims. Um, in your experience, 
how can we best empower a community who don't often report incidents to begin with and perhaps don't understand the importance of doing so? I mean, that's, that's been an age-old challenge for the police service. That there's some communities that just don't know what to do uh, or, or perhaps culturally don't trust the police. Um, my parents' generation might not trust the police because they were brought up in a time where perhaps the Indian police service didn't have, its, have the greatest reputation. I think that's changed now. Um, I think the Gurdwaras have a, have a responsibility and a role to play. Um, I would encourage, you know, having leaflets and posters about reporting hate crime. I think to say to people, if you don't report it, how can we know what's happening? Um, on my side, though, we have to, I mean, we try and take hate crime seriously. We do take it seriously, but often we don't always get an end result. You know, someone's been arrested or, or, or whatever it might be. We know there's a spike in hate crime after any Islamophobic, um, sorry, any um, Islamic terrorist related incident, there'll be a, a spike in hate crime. So, you know, I will be the victim of Islamophobic hate, even though I'm a Sikh, because the person abusing me has no idea who I am. So, um, and I've noticed that, that there's been a spike in that towards me. Um, and I, so, you know, I encourage people to report it. Um, we have got the Metropolitan Police Sikh Association. So you know, if anyone wants advice or guidance around stuff, or if they want presentations, or for people to attend Gurdwaras, or, or schools, or youth clubs, or wherever it might be, you know, we will come out to you, because um, one of our roles is that community engagement bit. It's important people, uh, people report hate crime, because it's so pervasive, it's so debilitating, it's, you know, it's just, you know, it can't be right, you know, that you're hated for what you look like. You know, that can't be right. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing you mentioned about the Gurdwaras is really important because you're right, if there is perhaps a distrust of the police or even just a hesitation to go to that sort of higher level of power, being able mm. to talk to your own community about it is really important. Um, and you mentioned that you yourself have been subjects as i'm sure many sikhs have um to these sorts of hate crimes as a police officer how does kind of how does it change the way that you deal with these incidents so so i retain uh, the ability to arrest somebody when i'm off duty uh, and i'm in fact you know even if i wasn't a police officer i could citizen arrest somebody in certain circumstances um, so on some occasions I've ended up arresting the person uh, on other occasions uh, they've got away because it's someone shouting abuse through a speeding car um, one occasion um, my, we were all out this was just after 9-11 we were all out for a Chinese meal in Windsor and a, a table at the, at the far end were giving us the look and all of us on this call will have seen the look and if you're a Gora, you never understand the look because you don't. That's not your world. But all of us on this call will have seen the look and have understood the look. But we can't verbalize what the look means because people don't understand it. But we understand it. Yeah. But, they, they, but this table went from the look into some comments. And the comments weren't quite racist. Uh, there were sort of words like Osama bin Laden and uh other things 
um, and I was with 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 uh, fourteen of my family, so I'd heard all of this stuff. So I shuffled them all out, and I went and had a conversation with that table, um, and then told Thames Valley Police, uh, if you get the credit cards of that particular table, uh, you might want to visit these people, and they did. So I'm lucky because I'm a police officer. I know how the systems work, um, but equally, I don't. Um, so only about eighteen. 24 months ago, I um, uh, got two dogs, went out for a dog walk and a car sped by and someone shouted, Packy. Um, so I took the number plate down. We worked out who it was. I couldn't tell you who was driving the car and I couldn't tell you who shouted Packy because there's two people in the car. But I got both of them in uh, to have a conversation. We call it community resolution where I had a conversation with them. How would you feel if that was you? How would you feel if that was your mum or your dad? Or your grandmother and uh, I think it was a really powerful experience for them because um, it humanized the whole process now some people say well they're racist yes probably um, but there were young people as well who somehow think shouting pack is fun and I, I, I left them realizing that actually what they've done was really quite horrible um, and I've no doubts they will rethink their, their behaviors in the future now, there was a practical reason why I didn't prosecute them. I could not prove who said it. So, so if I could prove who said it, might have gone for a prosecution. I don't know. I always think that learning is a better outcome than punishment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's why I think prisons are in a difficult place because there's less rehabilitation and more punishment. So, um, so uh, yeah, part, part of being a police officer means you've got to be robust, resilient. And be able to deal with difficult conflict. So, um, so I, yeah, and like I said, I, I, I'm. If I see injustice, I step in, and I've stepped in for racist and homophobic remarks many, many times when I'm off duty. And um, Raj, I mean, the, the examples that you've given, these sort of personal examples, you, you know, you, you're such a high-profile you know, public figure. You know, you're a turbancy. Um, I'm surprised that not more was made of these stories. I mean, it may be that you were reluctant to give these to the press at the time, these various incidents, all of which are pretty awful, especially when you're with your family and you're just trying to enjoy a meal. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think m m many of the people that we've spoken to during this series, um, this podcast series, we've spoken to Lord Singer Wimbledon, we've spoken um, to um, Suresh Grover from the monitoring group. They've all kind of talked about their experiences growing up and the kind of thread is very much similar. I mean, one of the kind of harrowing things that we learned from Suresh Grover was that when Gurinder Singh Jugga was murdered in Southall by a member of the National Front. Uh, there was a pool of blood lying near where he died and um, the police officer turned around and said to him, don't worry about it, it's Indian blood. So I think the point that you make about the police not culturally not being trusted by previous generations is absolutely the case. And, you know, that, that's, you know, Suresh's, um, you know, experience speaks mm. volumes to that. Um, and I, and I know that you mentioned um, Gurdwara's in, engaging on this issue. And you'd be pleased to know we, we have sent those um, guides to a number of Gurdwara's in London. Um, and we're hoping that they put them on their notice boards to make sure people know who to speak to if they do suffer from a hate crime. Because the reality is not everyone is going to be as robust as you. Not everyone is actually going to know how to deal with the situation or know um, how to make a citizen's arrest or how to escalate and have all these, um, you know, all this kind of knowledge and armor, if you like. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Seek Messenger podcast, make sure to stay tuned and look out for part two of this interview with Chief Superintendent Raj Cawley, which will be released in the next few days.